I'm Brian Foster, and this is the Grindhouse Institute. On each episode of this podcast, Jeremy Floyd and I program a triple feature movie night. Each of the movies share common themes, and we discuss them here. We're happy you could join us for part one of a two-part block we call Scorsese Gangsters. Martin Charles Scorsese was born November 17, 1942, in Queens, New York. A genuine cinephile, Scorsese grew up with the movies, entranced by the magic of the silver screen. Scorsese would go on to inspire generations of cinephile fanboys, like your hosts, by making some of the most influential, controversial, artistically daring, yet accessible films of all time. For the series, we're focusing on one particular aspect of Scorsese's 50-year career in movies, one for which he's best known, the gangster picture. Charlie, a small-time hood and the nephew of the local mafioso, has a lot on his mind. His best friend, the perennial fuck-up Johnny boy, his secret girlfriend Teresa, his wise guy uncle, and uh, his very soul. Harvey Keitel and Robert De Niro star in Mean Streets from 1972. After making box office and critical success, Rocky producer Erwin Winkler teamed up with De Niro and Scorsese to make this through-the-looking-glass, almost spiritual sequel about a boxer who was decidedly less heroic. To create this anti-Rocky, Scorsese assembled his team of usual suspects like Paul Schrader, Marty Martin, Joe Pesci, Frank Vincent, Robert De Niro, and Thelma Schoonmaker. This is 1980's Raging Bull. As far back as he could remember, Henry Hill always wanted to be a gangster. This classic tale of a gangster's rise and fall was made with such passion and intensity, providing both a realistic and expressionistic look at gangsters, that it redefined the genre. Ray Liotta and De Niro star alongside Joe Pesci, who won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor in 1990's Goodfellas. Thank you for listening to the Grindhouse Institute. Please enjoy. You don't make up for your sins in the church. You do it in the streets. You do it at home. The rest is bullshit, and you know it. Pain in hell has two sides. The kind you can touch with your hand. The kind you can feel in your heart. Your soul. The spiritual side. And you know, the worst of the two is the spiritual. It's I, we didn't even talk about like how Harvey Keitel seemed to be this like good luck charm for first time directors, uh, like Scorsese, Tarantino, and Ridley Scott. Uh, he was the star in all three of uh, their debuts. What was Ridley Scott's debut? The Duelists. Oh. Before Alien, right before Alien. Wow. Yeah. There you go. It's crazy. You know, you know Joey Clams. Yeah. Joey Scal. Yeah. I know him too. Yeah. Yeah. Joe, no, Joey Scal is Joey Clams. Right. Right. They're the same person. Yeah. Hey. Hey. That shit would have never happened if Tommy was over there taking care of it. I mean, you know he's got to be with Tommy to fight in New York to get a title shot. I mean, he's going to wind up fucking punch drunk, your brother. I know. You know, you got to make him understand that it's the best thing for everybody involved. I said I know. At 13, I was making more money than most of the grown-ups in the neighborhood. I mean, I had more money than I could spend. I had it all. One day, some of the kids from the neighborhood carried my mother's groceries all the way home. You know why? It was out of respect. Hi, Mom, what do you think? Look at my shoes, aren't they great? My God, you look like a gangster. 
All right, welcome back to the Grindhouse Institute. I'm Brian Foster, and with me as always is Jeremy Floyd. Hello, and how are you? You can't call me a mook. Yeah. Mook? All What's right. a mook? We went right to mook. I had to look up mook during the during the uh, watching Mean Streets today. Cause I, or not today. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I watched uh, Mean Streets with Alyssa, and and uh, right when that scene came up, she was like, the, the guy was like, you're a mook. And she was like, what's a mook? <laughs> you can look it up. I was like, well, you're quoting the movie. Hang on a second. We'll get to it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, yes, uh, a very exciting block. Um, a block that um, I'm not sure why it, it took us so long to get to because this was a real <laughs> a heavy hitter, and I don't even mean to that as a pun. Um, <laughs> we watched three amazing Scorsese films. Um, specifically, you calling this the Scorsese's Gangsters picture. Yeah, I would say New yeah, York so, gangsters, though, like to be specific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although you know, the idea behind this one is you know we're we're doing a two parter here because uh, oh, he's I got so that. many of them. Yeah. But um, you know, of course, uh, Scorsese and the gangster film are sort of uh, you know one and one synonymous. Uh, it's you know a theme that kind of runs through a lot of his movies, and of course you know there's this particular connection to the uh, you know you know New York Italian American. Uh, you know, mafioso type gangster, mm-hmm. but you know he also also does other types of gangsters. You know, like it, the Departed. You know, it's got uh, the sort of uh, the Irish. Irish mob in in um, in Boston, and like you know, gangs of New York, of course. Uh, you know, <laughs> in the eighteen hundreds. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's this particular um, you know flavor that he comes back to so often, and. Mm. It's sort of like in these really interesting like markers throughout his career, and and especially with the Irishman, um, it kind of brings all of that together. Um, you know, it it seems a little like a career retrospective. You know, although I I really like the movie. You know, it it also has that quality. It's, it's not as if that's the only thing you can enjoy about it. Um, but you know, the idea was we're gonna do Mean Streets, Raging Bull, Goodfellas. And then next time we'll do Casino and uh, and Irishman, you know, uh, you know, hour wise. I think the <laughs> even though it's only two, two movies, we're gonna yeah. be we're gonna be watching that might a, be more content more than the entire Dune miniseries. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so exactly. uh, we're watching. We're talking about Mean Streets today, 1973, Raging Bull from 1980, and Goodfellas from 1990. Mean Streets and Raging Bull, first time I've ever seen these movies. Really? So okay. Yeah, um, and I've seen Goodfellas more times, again, than I'd like to admit. Um, But like you said, there is a specific flavor that's happening between these three movies specifically. Um, They almost feel like a set of a trilogy or, or, you know, like the same. It is the same world, so I guess that would make sense. um, It's part of his canon. It's like, you know, the... Mm -hmm. the, uh, you know, Stephen King has the Dark Tower series, or like you know that there's like the, uh, the the Game of Thrones world or whatever. Like this is like his like world building type of thing, mm-hmm. and you know the way he explores these things, um, especially these three. Let's say like you know you'd think okay, Main Street's Goodfellas Casino. Okay, that that makes sense, right? It's it's all you know certain levels of mafioso, and then like what the hell's Raging Bull doing in there, and like. And I, I think we'll we'll get to that in a little bit, but mm-hmm. I, it's, I think all of these, you know, show this evolution, not only his, his sort of filmmaking, um, uh, Scorsese's filmmaking, but this particular type of movie gangster that he more or less, you know, uh, made 
his his own genre essentially it's like you know obviously the gangster films you know been around since the 30s or, or possibly even earlier um and certainly even before mean streets we had uh the godfather right uh, which is a different type of like mafia movie but the way that scorsese treats it is you know he he on the one hand makes it extremely realistic and then on the other hand like you know makes it extremely stylish and expressionistic and even in the earliest uh, iteration in mean streets like you mm-hmm. know with the like camera mounted to harvey Keitel's chest uh, he's like the snorry know, cam yeah like, yeah <laughs> is that the first time the snorry cam was used I, when i saw that i was like holy shit <laughs> right right yeah. I, I you know i i had first seen it in pie and right yeah Darren aronofsky used it again yeah. in in uh requiem for a dream to great effect very effective <laughs> but i was like you know completely same effect to, here though right it to, is to effective it, exactly, here to see it in, in mean streets and like oh my god uh, and, and it had that same effect of like, of, you know, uh, when you're partying a little too hard and, uh, and that the, the whole world is just a little kind of bit of unease, confusion and, and uh, where the hell am I? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And like I said, this was the first time seeing that. And um, I just want to go right into saying how amazing Harvey Keitel is in this movie. Um, yeah. especially after, you know, seeing him in, uh, Reservoir Dogs also amazing in that movie, but this one, I mean, right, right. really I know that this is a De Niro film. He's actually top billed in this movie, but I really think the Keitel is is this is steals the show. Harvey Keitel uh, in this, like as as Charlie, is the sort of uh, you know Henry Hill uh, character in this movie. You know, he's sort of the the focal point, and you know, it's a, a, ostensibly about those four characters that we are sort of introduced to in the beginning. That we mm-hmm. have their little title cards that come up. But it's really kind of Love about that. Charlie and then, like, the other guys in his orbit, you know? Right, yeah. Um, his crew. Same way that, like, Goodfellas is sort of about Henry, but then, you know, you get Jimmy the Gent and... Uh, you get Pauly you know, and... And Pauly and uh, <laughs> Hootie and all these guys, like... Uh, Jimmy two times, I gotta go get the papers, get the papers. <laughs> What's up, guy? Frankie eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's stick with Mean Streets before we uh, take the entire show for yeah. Goodfellas. For Goodfellas quotes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, um, I, I liked, I love this, and I, I think you you hit it on the head as the um, the amount of realism um, in this movie. I wasn't there, I don't know, but I can assume that this is pretty close to what it was like mm-hmm. in New York at that time. Um, you know, late seventies. Um, I'm sorry, er, this is early seventies, seventy three, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so early seventies at that time. I know that there was a lot of drug use around that time, um, and it was. Uh, pretty heavily prevalent with um, gangster um, activity. And uh, I think he nailed all of that. Um, right off the bat, we see, you know, the guy doing heroin in the bar. Um, you know, he really gets into the nitty gritty of the right, grittiness right. of the city. Um, and then, like you said, we're, we're introduced to these characters in a very, <laughs> and again, you know, like coming from watching movies in the 90s and stuff, this felt like stuff that was done much later, but he was doing it there with those title cards and like right, that, right. that stop and like that those frame holds. You, you and could thing. see a lot of the sort of Pulp Fiction, like the yeah. Vincent Vega story or whatever, that kind of thing. <laughs> exactly. Like the rock and roll soundtrack, that whole thing, too. Yeah. A lot of Guy Ritchie stuff, I feel like he, he did a lot oh, of that, yeah, too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, again, this was way ahead of its time. And. Um, since it's the beginning of the movie, I mean, I just wanted to bring it up. You can really see, um, in these three specifically Goodfellas and Mean Streets, mm-hmm. Scorsese's use of 
licensed music and his love of real music when Mm -hmm. mean street starts with be my little baby like pounding like it's really in your face with that home movie footage home video footage like that part of it too like also kind of made this the perfect like stopping point for part one because all three of these movies had these sections like these these you know montage sections of home video footage or in this case you know home, home uh eight millimeter home movies super eight like, or yeah. yeah like mean streets opens with it basically raging bull has that section right in the middle where it's in color and then even in goodfellas yep. well like it's a photo montage oh that was awesome of like their christmases or, or whatever it is but like they kind of have that that, that same feel change the aspect ratio really take you out of the normal right, look of right. the film and really like hone you in that this is a f- you know flashback or some story that you're getting but but it has this like documentary feel to it which is like all three Makes of these real. movies also have that sort of feel a little bit as well where it's like you um there's like a, a certain amount of grittiness to everything and you were saying a minute ago like how you would you weren't there you know you don't know what it was like there in new york but by being in these movies, because they feel so authentic and they feel so uh, textured and real and like the way that people interact with one another and the way that they have sometimes surprising reactions, but even when they're surprising, they still feel sort of grounded and real. It, it, it feels like it, it puts you in that time and space and it's almost that sort of documentary um, observation as yeah. opposed to artifice, you know? Exactly. And I don't think it's just a matter of, uh, you know, saving money because you're hand holding the camera at this point. This is a very intentional thing, yeah. um, which which is interesting because um, I feel that I agree with you on all that. And I don't mean to move on to Raging Bull so quick, but I do want to say that a lot of that movie does feel documentary, except for the boxing. Mm-hmm. The boxing feels like this. Well, remember, we talk about black box theater in um, yeah, yeah. during yeah, but, uh, no, it was totally the usual suspects. A lot of that stuff. Yeah. It was very dreamy. They added, you know, like the stylish touches, like you were talking about, the squirts of blood. It was almost anime style, right? Like that big squirt of blood. And I mean, he does that um, consistently in all these movies as well. There's those scenes of, you know, heavy, heavy squirting of blood. It's 1130. He was supposed to be here. You know, we're supposed to be there by nine. Yeah, you're always fucking late. You're late for your own fucking funeral. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. The lines are going to be, you know, when we cut these, you know, obviously we put in a lot of lines from movies. I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if we need a whole separate cut to fill in all the good fellows and, and the lines from these movies. You're saying this episode's going to be four and a half hours. So just like as long as the stuff. Irishman. Uh, yeah, um, let, let's let's go back to, um, you know, Carvey Keitel and uh, Robert De Niro, you know, Charlie and Johnny Boy. Um, yeah. This this relationship to me felt a lot like Of Mice and Men, um, that, that story. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. He, he's, he's looking out for uh, Johnny Boy when no one else would. No one else believes in him. And Johnny, Lenny, you know, I kind of yeah. had this. And he, uh, Johnny was not helping himself in, in, in by any way. And, and, and Johnny Boy <laughs> seems a little... Um, uh, a, a little special, you know. Sometimes, right? Right. Like he, he's he's not um, he he's not thinking clearly a lot of times. The first or... time we meet him, he blows up a trash can. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a mailbox, right? A mailbox. Yeah, yeah. he drops a bomb inside of a mailbox and yeah, blows just, it up, and he just runs laugh, away. You know? <laughs> and it's like Johnny Boy. <laughs> I mean, talk about an intro to a character. And I mean, this is again Scorsese just completely owning cinema at this point you know 
This is 73, which blows my mind. Right, and right. I love that Scorsese made an appearance, a big appearance in Mean Streets. He was yeah, he was yeah. a bit of voiceover <laughs> uh, when he was doing some of the uh, expository stuff. But then he was also the fellow that shoots Johnny Boy in the neck. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> had no idea. <laughs> He's the gunman at the end. Right? <laughs> From the back seat. He didn't yeah. even take shotgun. He took right. the back seat so they could pull up next to him and pop him in the neck. <laughs> No, but I, it's like, you know, this one, it, it's interesting because it's like, okay, kind of like John Carpenter, uh, Martin Scorsese did a student film and, you know, he hired this, you know, uh, theater student. He met uh, Harvey Keitel to be in it. And it was like one of those things where like it was uh, the, the movie got to a certain length and like some distributor said, hey, if you put a sex scene in it, we'll distribute it for you. You know, kind of like how in Dan O'Bannon and uh, John Carpenter's Dark Star, they had sort of like a really long student film. It was like, you know, like a 50-minute student film or something. And they're like, hey, if you uh, pad it out with a couple more scenes, uh, we'll release this thing. So that became uh, Who's Knocking at My Door. Uh, You know, it had a ton of different titles. But, you know, when you watch it, it's in black and white. It's very sort of experimental. And... um, it's it's definitely interesting, you know, it, for like an excavation type of thing, like uh, sure. if you're <laughs> kind of studying this. But the um, deep dive, yeah. You know, then off of that, he gets hired by Roger Corman to do Boxcar Bertha, mm-hmm. and you know that was like I don't know his first job or whatever. It was you know a, sort of a bigger budget than than the zero dollar budget that he was working off of <laughs> with uh, Who's Knocking on My Door, and that's where you know he, I think uh, David Carradine's in that right. He's the yeah. uh, the sort of second and, and his son, yeah. His son's the assassin. Oh, really? <laughs> to, to kill David Carradine. Yeah, he kills his own dad. <laughs> yeah, Louis yeah, Skolnick. Yeah. Right. And, and then, you know, then David Carradine comes in, in into this one as a kind of a, a small cameo in Mean Streets a little bit. Uh, he, he's like one of the the drunken guy who, who gets assassinated or whatever. Who can't, that guy's trying to make doesn't know how to take himself. a leak. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Completely forgets how to take a yeah, piss. Like, yeah. you know, like, I didn't read the instructions on this one. Um <laughs> But, you know, despite the fact that he did two movies before this, this is, you know, often kind of considered... Uh, his first. You know, one of his first, his first movie in a way. And in some sense, that's true because it is, you know, sort of so personal. It's Little Italy. Uh, this world that he knew, you know, Scorsese was sort of on the outside of in a way, but definitely in his sort of tapestry of his, of his childhood and everything, all these, like, low-level gangsters and, you know, the way that... What was the Saints Day that was like uh, sort of humming around in the background there? Anyway, it was Saint Someone's Day, and uh, there's this uh, there's this uh, parade that's happening sort of throughout the movie. That's like you know just a part of the the atmosphere of the film. But you know you could you could feel a lot of those things kind of coming through with Scorsese's own personality and whatever in this. Yeah, and I mean a lot of the repeated people throughout these films too. Some of the actors clearly these mm-hmm. these guys were part of the real deal around Little Italy at the time. Um, the guy that plays Giovanni in, yeah. in Mean Streets, like this guy is, is you could tell this guy was a serious hitter. Um, wait, wait but, was he the, he, he was Charlie's uncle, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. He's, he, he, was, he was the actual sort of, I don't know, underboss of the little... He's the guy that Charlie uh, would not vouch yeah. for Johnny Boy with. Like, yeah, he's yeah. like, I, I don't think I'm going to talk to my uncle just yet. <laughs> I don't know if you're going to blow up another mailbox. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I thought that this was a a cool look at, um, you know, kind of a smaller hierarchy within like a smaller Mm -hmm. unit of of this. And that's why I think I could 
latch on to it a lot. You know, it felt like almost attainable. <laughs> I, I'm not going to try to be a gangster tomorrow or anything like that, but yeah. I mean, it felt like that's the range that, you know, how you start and how you get yourself like moved into that system. Well, and, and that's another thing that like, it, I bring that up, like, you know, these movies sort of, you know, grow uh, step by step into getting, you know, further and further up the gangster ladder as we go through this little series. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in Mean Streets, it's a really, really small time. I mean, you know, Charlie's uncle plays, you know, like a, you know, presumably, uh, you know, some sort of underboss or, or, you know, some sort of local uh, chieftain of the mafia there. Mm-hmm. Um, still kind of probably small time, but, you know, maybe he's made or, you know, whatever. He's, he's got the like, right. respect of everybody. Uh, but then, you know, you see uh, his buddy um, Michael. Who I can borrow money from all over town. I when I can't borrow from nobody else, I'll come from you, <laughs> right? That Michael, the 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 guy who's you know chasing Johnny Boy the whole time for some debts, is way lower. He's he's, he's a loan shark, but you know he's he's kind of a gangster. He's the guy that he's trying to sell yeah. lens adapters at the beginning, <laughs> right. thinking they're lenses, right? Yeah. What do you mean you can't use it? That's uh, that's a telescopic one. That's the best one I made. It's not German. It's Jap. This is an adapter. It's not a lens. You bought two shipments of Jap adapters. <laughs> you got the adapters, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. And, um, oh, and, and that's the other thing. It's like, you know, for a sort of uh, serious and, um, you know, just hard hitting and, you know, unflinching as a lot of these movies are, they're also very funny. Like Hilarious. Yeah. And, and like, you know, there's he does such a good job of getting the audience to want to sort of buy into and feel a part of this very foreign thing to most people who are not in organized crime um, and, you know, feel like, oh, I-, I could see the appeal of it, you know? Yeah, especially Goodfellas. Goodfellas makes it fun. You know, it's, people are just h- hanging out and having fun. These are my buddies, and we just do whatever we want and blah, blah, blah. Oh, we could play cards all night and no one will tell us to leave? <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> hey, Tommy, why don't you go fuck yourself? <laughs> good boy spider good boy <laughs> that's for you spider that's for you spider <laughs> um i i wanted to bring up some of the i guess i guess it's absurdity or not it's more comedy but it w- kind of came out of nowhere th- that tony the owner of this bar that's kind of the central location of mean streets he had yeah. a pet lion it was almost right. some strange flex <laughs> that he had this like pet lion in his back that he would just show off to people but it was kind of kind of introduced and then forgotten about i was hoping that it would rip well, someone's face off at some point they, they couldn't afford to have the lion around uh for, for too many scenes so <laughs> it must have cost a ton to have that for the one day <laughs> a tranquilized lion yeah and you know it, it, it's funny because like you you kind of just get the sense that i don't know what he bought it as an investment and was gonna try to sell yeah, it or exactly. something <laughs> these things are worth a lot <laughs> Uh, I, I do want to bring up, you, you brought up how personal Mean Streets um, feels to Scorsese, and I'd say mm-hmm. that that definitely relates to the sanctuary that they found going to the movies. That was kind of their escape, you know? It's like right, right. trying to stay off the streets, stay out of trouble for a little bit. Let's go to the movies. You know, let's chill out. Let's do that thing. And I love mm-hmm. those shots of the movie. You know, you never see the movie. I think you did see the movie, but, you know, when you see those straight-on shots of, of the people just watching above the camera, I think that that's really strong and 
Um, I obviously that was like his love of the cinema just interjecting into this film. Right. Exactly. I mean, and, and you know, and that that was I'm sure part of his life growing up. I mean, yeah. he would be addicted to going to the movies, and like there would be all these like um, revival houses and whatever around him. It's like you know they'd be playing the the thing for pennies or whatever, and you know movies he could afford, and then that became his sort of like film school in a way. And probably play like three or four movies in a row and just sit there right. all day. Yeah. And you know, so that's like you know that was the part of the world that you know like he would have this like crazy shit going on in the background. Uh, you know, people. <laughs> being assassinated at the bar down the street and, you know, hearing these stories about these things. But, you know, for him, like his world was, uh, you know, spent right. in, in different movie houses and whatever. I'm glad he did because he made these movies as well as like 60 other ones. So, yeah. you know, or at least 60 <laughs> other projects. So it's like, right. I'm really glad that he took the time to learn film because this guy is obviously one of the greats. <laughs> I mean, he's all of these movies were so fun. Not not fun. <laughs> They were just really good to watch, and it's great that we're actually pulling some really good movies out on this podcast. It's making it much easier to watch three movies in a row. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think, you know, maybe part of this was like, you know, when we were talking about how it was great watching like three classics with uh, Citizen Kane and uh, Rashomon and all this. Yeah. That, you know, oh, maybe we should uh, kind of like, you know, <laughs> give ourselves a breather on, on sometimes like, you know, these deep dives. We started just, a trend, oh, man. Watch all like uh, classics or whatever. Watch good movies. Feel yeah. better about yourself. I mean, and and the thing is, like you know, so as, as sort of personal as Mean Streets was, like you know, it's like he got hired off of onto Boxcar Bertha by Roger Corman to, to that sort of exploitation movie. Was prepping another one, uh, the name of which I'm forgetting at the moment, but uh, apparently you know John Cassavetes talked to him and who was an idol of his. You know, he he watched a lot of. John Cassavetes, like independent movies, and they were like, you know, John Cassavetes, you know, was an actor, but then would uh, also save up a little money, put together a little independent project. And he would do these movies that were like the French New Wave, but in New York. And for Scorsese, it was like, you know, something he could relate to a lot more uh, than, you know, perhaps the uh, Streets of Paris or whatever in uh, Breathless or some of these movies. But Essentially, Cassavetes talked him into to doing uh, something a little more personal, and you know he's like, you know, you could do a million of these uh, Corman movies and and sort of you know not get to anything that you know is going to speak to yourself, right? Uh, and and just be a, a work a day, uh, you know. Uh, he would just be another director, just another director um, working the Corman system as opposed to Martin Scorsese, right? <laughs> director of yeah, Taxi exactly. Driver and exactly. Mean Streets, yeah. Uh, you know, Scorsese then was able to parlay that into to Mean Streets, and from there he goes on to do, you know, probably you know one of his most iconic movies, uh, Taxi Driver, uh, and in between there, Alice doesn't live here anymore, and and New York, New York, uh, both of which are are really good. You know, probably not the classic status as uh, Taxi Driver, but uh, but both really interesting. But you know, throughout that period. You know, he was really getting heavily into drugs and, uh, you know, cocaine in particular. He OD'd. And, yeah, exactly. He was, like, you know, doing, uh, sort of famously doing a press junket for New York, New York. And, like, you know, where he sits in a room and, like, you know, it's like a reporter comes by, asks him a few questions. The next reporter comes by, next reporter comes by, next reporter comes by for, for different outlets and having to answer the same questions over and over again. And at one point, he just like, he's like, you know what? Uh, I'm out of cocaine. The press junk gets over and like, you know, walks away. <laughs> and then, you know, it just like sort of uh, went into kind of a, a spiral because like the, the, both the financial 
and the critical uh, failure of New York, New York kind of made him doubt whether or not um, movie making was for him. And he then uh, ended up ODing, like you're saying, he goes to the hospital and like, you know, uh, and, you know, De Niro uh, came by to uh, try to get him to come on board to do Raging Bull and he didn't want to. And, you know, it's I think like, he presented the book to him. At the at the time, it was yeah. Like, book. Know, what the fuck yeah. am I going to do with this? this <laughs> I don't even like sports. Is <laughs> yeah, I think his, his response. Yeah, exactly. He's a movie guy. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. And then you know what is great about that is that you know he was finally convinced to do it, and when he does, it's you know sort of one of his uh, greatest achievements. You know, it's just like you know sort of <sighs> creatively, and you know that 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 again that sort of that neighborhood and the the personal thing and and all these other pieces of it. The movie is just so so successful. And it's it's where like a lot of his like theater troupe of like people that are in his orbit either mm-hmm. come back into his orbit or like come into it for the first time. Joe Pesci, Frank Vincent. Pesci's first time mm-hmm. was that yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, Mardik Martin, what was the guy who wrote the first draft, uh, who wrote Mean Streets, and then Paul Schrader wrote the second right. draft, who wrote Taxi Driver. Yeah. And then this is his first collaboration with um, with Tom Schoonmaker, who was you know gone on to be right, his, the like, editor. You know, his uh his partner in crime uh through all these movies as as his editor. The Moviola editor. I think that <laughs> yeah. was the old school. Is that right, Thelma? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then Michael Chapman shot it, which is probably one of the most outrageously shot movies. It's 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 two different movies put into one, I think. Yeah. The, the boxing movie is a completely different movie in the best yeah, way. Yeah, you no, know, totally. it's like I, well and, and like I mean all that stuff like um it like it has this uh sort of you know personal drama at the core of it you know these really uh expressionistic and uh just mind-blowing sequences in the ring and then you know it's a whole other movie when he's the old fat right. falling apart stand up uh, yeah exactly <laughs> somewhat stand, stand up i mean if you own your own if you own your own club you can put yourself up every night right, right? right. like i guess that's kind of what he or got like the, the the time where he's uh M scene uh, for the the like sort of strip club uh, you know like day drinking bar, <laughs> and no one wants to hear his stupid jokes. <laughs> it's just oh man, they were pretty bad. I mean the the delivery was bad, but and, um, and how how great is like Robert De Niro playing somebody exactly. who's not acting very well? You know he's like so good. Man, at it. the he is just amazing. Um, that he goes from, you know he he he's in the ring. You could tell he really trained hard to be a boxer. He's in these conversations where he is clearly the most insecure person on the planet and can play yeah. that down to a to a to a T. And then, yeah, <laughs> man. Um, so, you know, as usual, Chrissy participated in a couple of movies two uh-huh. actually this time. Goodfellas oh, cool. she hadn't seen yet and really? watched Ra- uh-huh. Raging Bull. Yeah. And again, halfway through, she was just like, this dude is the worst. I'm like, yeah, he's <laughs> pretty bad, bit. pretty bad dude. <laughs> Well, and, and and that unflinching part of it is like is the thing that Scorsese does so well. It's like it's so hard to feel for this guy, particularly because you spend whatever it is like two hours with him just being the worst person on earth. Yes, and, and then you see him in that jail cell, and and you you start to like get this like empathy for him in a way because he's just so broken, you know, and and you know that performance just is is like it, it's just it's mind blowing. I'm not an animal. That that sequence, you know. Yeah, I thought it was interesting to cold open with him as the as the older Lamada, you know, in full makeup yeah. and full bravado. I guess I thought it was interesting because that is, you know, not who you get throughout most of the movie. You know, you get that young, athletic, 
um, hothead, really, Jake LaMotta, um, or Jack. <laughs> well, the first time I saw it, I, I didn't quite realize that was De Niro at the very beginning. A horse, a horse, my kingdom for a horse. I haven't had a winner in six months. Yeah, I know. I, I, it's just, <laughs> the makeup's good. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it, you know, it looks so different. And then you, you, it's like it bell dings and it cuts to him as a young man. And like, you're like, okay, there he is. And like, <laughs> yeah. And then when it cuts back to him uh, in the 60s or whatever, that poolside thing. And, and he's just the, you know, this bloated, uh, you know, fat mafia boss uh, type of guy. It's just like, it's like, is that the same actor? You know what I mean? It's like, it's crazy. So let's let's go to that real quick. Um, you know, this is part of the Scorsese's Gangsters Part 1, 3 picture deal that we've got going on here <laughs> with the studio. Um, Raging Bull, the, the, the connection there was that Jake was going to be sponsored or in a way sponsored yeah. <laughs> by the local mafia, right? Um, taking a dive, um, or at least it was kind of like the Butch story in, in, in Pulp Fiction, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's but pride. I mean, this fucking with you. Yeah, fuck exactly. pride. <laughs> well, fuck pride. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I guess that this is, a, you know, the, the, the connection to it all. One of those gangsters being, uh, Billy from, um, from Goodfellas who, um, gets his yeah. ass beat in both of these movies. <laughs> <laughs> by Joe Pesci. Uh, yeah, by Joe Pesci. <laughs> Scorsese set those two up pretty, pretty well. <laughs> well like uh, you know, they were they were good friends before this, uh, Pesci and Frank Vincent, and like, and apparently they were uh, both musicians and like, uh, you know, sort of t- touring around and and doing like just oddball, you know, vaudeville act type things. Really, and like, and in a, in a band and all this stuff, and then they had done some indie movie together that no one had seen, and like De Niro saw it. And I was like, "Hey, you should cast these guys, uh, uh, Marty, uh, when, when you're when you're looking for the 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 Joey Lamata character." Yeah, uh, and that's basically how Joe Pesci got you know looped into the fold of uh, of, of the Scorsese family. He he's so good. Uh, Pesci is so good in in Raging Bull, man. Um, it, it's nuts. I mean, it, like it's technically not his first film, but it's it, it's it's like his first film, definitely of this scale, and it's just like it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. He completely owns it. Um, and it's his character, uh, Joe, um, is trying to manage his brother, trying to manage him, right. um, which is, you know, a fool's errand in many respects. It's it's this guy is a complete, I don't know, a bomb ready to go off at, at any given time, you know, and, yeah. you know, at, at he, any time he, he asking his brother to, as a raging bull. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this bull will rage. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the boss, I'm the boss, I'm the boss. I'm the boss, I'm the boss, I'm the boss. I loved, um, you know, for someone that's not into sports, um, how they filmed the boxing. I know I brought this up, but to yeah. think that at the same time, you're talking about one or two years after Rocky, a full-color, yeah. full-widescreen presentation of a boxing match that is completely different than this, and he really separated this from another boxing movie from that time. This was not a boxing movie, you know? Well, because of the boxing and because Erwin Winkler, the producer of this movie, produced the Academy Award winning uh, box office smash Rocky, that helped get this black and white, uh, you know, uh, low level gangster, uh, you know, wife beating, uh, you know, sort of monster <laughs> portrait greenlit in a way that wouldn't have been done uh, before. I mean, it's like also you know, underage uh, wife, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it's easy to imagine that, like, like 
this is it came out in 1980 um in between mean streets and raging bull de niro and scorsese did uh, taxi driver and also sort of in between the uh mean streets and raging bull years you know de niro won an oscar for godfather 2 and you know definitely very bankable let's say just star and directing uh, duo sure however you know the movie they did right before this new york new york uh, was not a financial success, so like it wasn't like this movie was just a uh, an easy slam dunk green light, right? Particularly because you know he wants to make it in black and white, wants to have it have all these uh, very risky creative moves in it, like having the the fight scenes like, like not... Hitchcock. It was yeah. like Hitchcock type setups. Yeah, I mean, like like the the crazy artifice that Hitchcock was sort of known for could be seen in some of those uh, those boxing scenes. Also, the Saul, the Saul Bass, um, you know, very rigid, um, you know, com- compositions. Uh, that yeah. opening shot of him shadow boxing with the title in there—that was very. It oh felt, right, yeah, 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 yeah. Very like almost caged. Very interesting. Right. Yeah. Well, and 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 what's what's fascinating about the the in the ring thing too is like if you contrast this with Rocky, for instance, like Rocky's this underdog, and you know he's he's got all these redeeming qualities or whatever, but he's not like. Uh, you know, beating the shit out of uh, Adrian, and like, now he loves uh, Adrian. He'd do anything know, for like, Adrian. He, he buys her, buys her pets. <laughs> you know, yeah. and and eventually, uh, you know, uh, drink serving robots or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm gonna get Paulie a snow cone machine. <laughs> but it's like, th- yeah, Lamada this... doesn't have much redeeming about him, other than his his talent in the ring. Um, I did, I did want to bring up um, uh, Kathy Moriarty, Vicky. Yeah. Yeah. Um, very much um, in the same um, ca- uh, caliber, I'd say, as uh, Jodie Foster in Taxi Driver, uh, the young person that's kind of taking taking charge, and her relationship with the the gangsters at the time around the pool and like that that right. big, you know. And she was just this. Um, she seemed like this like golden idol that uh, Jake LaMotta was after, and once he had her, you know, right. she was she was no longer <laughs> important, and his paranoia sets in um and unfortunately this one goes down the tubes again but some of the greatest performances between him and her were just amazing stuff open the door get away come on open the door i want to talk get to you. away from me you're sick i just want to ask you one thing why did you fuck joey get away <laughs> um yeah exactly and and he has this like ability to take people who are either non-actors or first-time actors and kind of Get the best out of them. It, it's just, is that his improv work? Is that is that you know him sitting there and really like working it out with them? I, I mean, I feel like that's part of it. You know, uh, allowing the actors to feel comfortable. There's a lot of other directing styles where you're you're very rigid about what people say all the time, or like you know, commanding that they stand here, look there, put your eyes there. You know, it's like that almost that Hitchcock approach. Mm-hmm. But his thing with actors, it's like you know, he's supposedly very open to lots and lots of ideas all the time and you know obviously all directors are are like that in a way but apparently that is something that makes it comfortable for the actors in a way where he's going to be able to get these really um easy uh free-flowing uh natural performances out of them um that you know sometimes aren't replicated in the same way. I mean, look at Sharon Stone in Casino, right? I mean, she's mind blowing, Um, you know, and she's a fine actress or whatever. It's like, you know, whatever, but like it's 
like that level of like uh just you know head popping uh you know like um immersion and just like you know you, you can't even believe what you're seeing type of thing you know uh i don't know i don't know if she's been able to replicate something like that in her career you know what i mean and and same with maybe kathy moriarty i mean you know part of it is in a lot of these movies joe pesci is playing joe pesci <laughs> you know sure. uh or, or like you know the Joey character and the Tommy character and the Nikki character in, in Casino, um, at least in the times where he's breaking out and fighting everyone, those bursts of violence, like it, it, he's playing the sort of Joe Pesci thing. Mm-hmm. It's not to say that like he's not giving a performance and he's not a great actor, and he is. But like his range wasn't tested, I don't think, until we get to The Irishman, where he, he plays a totally different role. And it's, it's, it's kind of a wild thing to, to see him transform. Late in his way. career. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, he just he finds a way to like get these people, and you know, it, that includes like even like casting his parents or yeah or or whatever. You know, he his has mom these... pops in twice. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Raging yeah. Bull and Goodfellas, right? Right. Uh, I'm trying to think of a better example. Like, um, okay, here, here's a great example. Uh, in Goodfellas, uh, the guy who plays Tootie, like uh, Paul Servino's brother or whatever. Who's also uh, Mr. Big in Wayne's World? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, why? Why does this guy look familiar? I was like, he should have a ponytail. Cassandra, but... you're amazing. <laughs> Crucial yeah. talk. You're gonna get signed. Yeah, no. He's like, I want to sign you. I, I drove all the way back here just to tell you you're not good enough. <laughs> like, you didn't think we we're gonna end the movie that way, did you? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but like that guy, you know, he was. Uh, he was like a you know uh, a manager for music talent. You know, he was he was Michael Jackson's manager for a while. No like, way. He he wasn't like a, an actor primarily, right? Wow. But his role in Goodfellas playing Tootie, like you know, it just you you totally buy him. You, you it it's not like um, you watch The Wire and it's like you know when they would cast sort of locals or, or people who were actual gangsters or whatever, and it was like they were non actors playing these roles, and it kind of stood out. In, in one sense, it lent a sort of authenticity to it, and in a lot of senses, it kind of took you out of it because what they were saying wasn't being delivered convincingly. For whatever reason, with unknowns or people who are sort of non-actors, like he somehow is able to like elicit these uh, really convincing and natural performances out of them. Yeah, uh, and and very memorable in a lot of a lot of ways. Oh yeah, quotable. <laughs> quotable, exactly. Like, and I'm sure that was like one line that someone pulled out of an improv in a scene that they cut into the movie, but it's going to be repeated for history, you know? For, right, right, forever. Exactly. We're gonna toughen this kid up, like, it's like yeah. you, know, you broke your cherry, yeah. you know? Like, <laughs> Actually, okay, like, okay, the 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 Tony character, it's 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 perfect because like in Wayne's World, he's less convincing, even though he's playing a character yeah. in Wayne's World that's much closer to what his 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 life is like outside of his acting career which is like in this music business him playing the like brother of the gangster which uh you know i i don't know anybody about the actor maybe, maybe he is a gangster i don't know but like <laughs> but presumably he's he's not that same person that he's playing in goodfellas but you know henry totally you're a real jerk him. i wasted like four aprons on that guy <laughs> you you're a real jerk <laughs> yeah you're a real gotta jerk. toughen this kid up <laughs> Um, let's let's get into Goodfellas. Um, and in many ways, I mean, I guess the uh, the comparison here is that the Copacabana is in is in both of these, right? The we get oh, a yeah. version of that in Raging Bull, <laughs> and then obviously that amazing one or that we get in Goodfellas. Yeah. But 
Um, I, I wanted to talk real quick, technically from the beginning of Goodfellas, um, and we brought up um, Hitchcock just recently, but the Saul Bass credits at the beginning um, of this, and actually oh, I right. think it's technically edited also by Saul Bass, or there's something in the credits of that. It's like designed by Saul Bass or something. It's like Scorsese put him as, a, uh-huh. as, as it an editor. I don't remember exactly. Well, it, it was, you know, him doing the... The opening title sequence, you mean, right? With the, like, exactly. The, like, the yes, and I love how simple it like, is. It, it's yeah. just the word com- or the names coming in, but with the sound of the traffic going, and then we're right, right. in the back of the car. Right. Um, what was that? We, we hit a bump or something? What was that? <laughs> it's the hoof. <laughs> <laughs> the paw, the, uh, you know, the paw. The yeah, hoof. The paw. <laughs> so, yeah, um, this, uh, again, like, this is... In my opinion, his his very 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 best film. Um, it's my favorite of his films by far. Um, right off the bat, you know, like we say from the credits, it's got a really cool style to it. You've got that red light that's beaming on the gangsters as they're chopping this guy up in the in the back of the uh, <laughs> the back of the trunk with that you know the brake light on and everything. It like hits you over the head that this is just going to be. I mean, it, it's a it's an inciting incident for sure to say at the beginning, some dude just mm-hmm. getting his chest getting uh, stabbed and then plowed like three times by a, by right. a gun right in the back, and and then the next line is, "All my life, I always wanted to be a gangster." It's like, Boom. <laughs> and it's right. this thing. one like Raging Bull is is it's an origin story in many ways, and we follow Henry Hill, mm-hmm. um, who was uh, I guess a low level to then a, a high level uh, gangster um, in New York uh, during the '60s through the '80s. I think that sounds right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. About 20 years through that time, um, his, his rise and um, drastic fall, and I guess everybody around him as well. Right, exactly. I mean, <laughs> and the thing is, like, you know, it, um, like sort of Casino and, and Mean Streets, we're following a character who sort of is uh, around and accessory to some of the murders, but is, is not the, like, murdering psychopath or the, the person who's uh, doing the worst atrocities, right? That That's... The Tommy character and the the Jimmy the Gent character, uh, mm-hmm. you know, sort of doing the the, the craziest stuff. Um, but you know, he do, he has this uh, sort of magic trick of getting you to go along with and be a party to all the things that Henry's a part of. Because by contrast, Henry's you know less of a bad guy, less of a gangster than than say Tommy. Um, you know, who's not just, to say uh, that he's a good person. But no, yes, no, he is not the sure. murderous type. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, yeah. you know, grading on the curve, uh, you know, he's he's the <laughs> right. good guy here, you know. <laughs> yeah. Many levels and... of bad. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I, I, like what, what's also fascinating is, like, yeah, I mean, probably Goodfellas is, is going to be um, the one he's remembered for the most. Uh, it, it's, you know, a lot of the the things that, um, you know, because part of the thing I was, I, was, I was building up toward with that, that whole explanation of how he got to Raging Bull uh, was that, you know, because New York, New York was such a, like a, you know, both critical and commercial failure, he himself was feeling like a failure. And then like, you know, uh, was sort of convinced by De Niro and uh, Winkler, the producer to do this. And he, and then he came back and rocked the Casbah and like, you know, <laughs> became this, you know, this uh, really creative expression and, you know, was uh, sort of robbed at the Oscars for it or whatever, and uh, as best director and best film or whatever, um, lost best director to and an for actor. thirty years after that, and then 
gets the Goodfellas. This other like somehow tops that as the high water mark creatively and everything else, and also loses to an actor for best director. It's fantastic. Uh, Who did he but, lose uh, to in ninety? Kevin Costner. For uh, Dances uh, with Wolves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah. So act the actor director got it that year. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna have to go on the record here in this pod and say that I would much rather watch Goodfellas than Dances with Wolves. Yeah, yeah. I wonder why. Yeah, it's just like the movie is just. I mean, it it's it's amazing, and um, it's such a pointed uh, contrast to the other types of like gangster movies, the, the mafia movies, whatever, and. Even in, in this period of Scorsese's career, it's like his movies still have this like real grittiness to them. I mean, mm. Goodfellas in particular, it's extremely grainy. You know, everything's sort of gray and, you know, like all the colors are muted. And They're probably in 1000 or $3,000 suits sitting around <laughs> an old like uh, dumpster, like a, like an old um, chop shop. You know, with like a with a grill that's basically made out of a drum, you know, like these old like oil drums and like, but they're all in suits, you know, sitting around. It's it's a really odd grittiness. Like, like, you know, it's like, yeah, the the, the cops are people who can't go to the cops or whatever that that scene. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. That's the one. (laughs) Hundreds of guys depended on Paulie and he got a piece of everything they made. It was tribute, just like in the old country, except they were doing it here in America. And all they got from Paulie was protection from other guys looking to rip them off. And that's what it's all about. That's what the FBI could never understand. That what Paulie and the organization does is offer protection for people who can't go to the cops. That's it. That's all it is. They're like the police department for wise guys. Paulie's uh, eating a sausage in slow motion. <laughs> I love um, that, that Paulie didn't want to talk to anybody in groups. So everyone would come over and just kind of whisper in his ear and then he'd just give him a nod or a no. <laughs> Uh, I, I do want to bring Paul Sorvino, right? Yeah. Paulie's name. Uh, mm-hmm. Fucking awesome in this movie. Um, and he really was kind of the voice of reason for for Henry, but Henry was not taken to it. You know, he was too far, too far gone, I think. Um, but he was, um, I, I really sympathize with Paul Sorvino's character, Paulie. <laughs> Even though, I mean, he was a bad dude. You know, I get it. But man, there were just some heartwarming scenes, like him cutting the garlic in, in prison. And, right. you know, when when, when Henry finally comes back, he's like, he's like, you got the wine? He's like, yeah, okay, now we can eat. You know, like all these fun <laughs> lines that he had. Just... <laughs> right. And uh, Scorsese's dad was the was the one like cooking or whatever in the in the prison there. You got to you got to you got to put the you got to put three types of meat in there. You got to put the veal in there. Got to put the veal in there. Oh, and the pork. That's where the flavor's at. <laughs> I love that. Um, well, let's talk about Scorsese's mom's appearance um, in this one specifically. Um, <laughs> these three guys show up at 3 a.m. And if you look at the clock, it's 3 a.m. This woman <laughs> with a dead body or a dying body in their, in their back trunk right, that they're about right. to cut up. And <laughs> she makes them the biggest dinner that you see like during one of their like afternoon meals. <laughs> right, <laughs> so, right. <laughs> just, just, that's the best line or be- best scene. And then when, when they show her artwork, of the two guys, you know, the yeah, two dogs dog looking, looking one way. I got one dog looking one way, <laughs> one's looking north, one's looking south. What, what of it? And this yeah. guy over here, he's, uh, he's like, what do you want from me? <laughs> he kind of looks like somebody I know. <gasps> Without the beard, oh, God. <laughs> no, exactly. And, and, and that, that's another example of like, okay, it's not yeah. like uh, Catherine Scorsese was, uh, was an actress, right? It's like, but these guys, Joe Pesci and De Niro were, 
you know, Scorsese's friends, Martin Scorsese's friends. So it was like, you know, her cooking for them was not uh, something out of the ordinary. And he got her into this really comfortable place where <laughs> she was able to just like, you know, riff with them. And, you know, it's totally believable, right? It's like... Uh, it's, and when know. she tells the joke... And there was this man, he would never talk. He would just sit there all night, not say a word. So they said to him, what's the matter, Compari? Don't you talk? Don't you say anything? He says, what am I going to say? That my wife two times me? So she says to him, shut up. You're always talking. <laughs> But in Italian, it sounds much nicer, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also wanted to bring up um, Karen, or the role of Karen, um, yeah. in, I guess in relationship to, like, Kathy Moriarty's character. Um, but Lorraine Bracco's character um, of Karen, again, it was kind of in that realm of, uh, you were talking about Sharon Stone, um, but this is like an explosive, big change um, from her her blow up as Liz Taylor in the middle of the street, you know, you got a lot of nerves standing me up, Henry Hill, all that stuff to then, you know, when they're both kind of coked out at the end and just super paranoid. Um, But then there's also um, her sitting on the bed, that gun POV of her holding the gun to Henry's head. And man, that was like kind of the breaking point in that movie because she knew that he was screwing around on her and she wasn't having it. Um, I thought she was a great, strong character. And that was awesome. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and and that scene, you know, the scene where um, he gets sort of bailed out of prison after the, you know, the, the moment by moment day, uh, the, the sort of rock and roll uh, coke field uh, helicopter day. Yeah, uh, he he gets out of prison there, and like he's like, "Where is it? Where is it?" She's like, "I flushed it down the toilet." Right, sixty like, grand. That that scene, uh, both of those were just like just so tour de force, Oof. and like just like so moving, and then you know. He did this thing where it was like most of it was just sort of played in this like wider shot where you feel like a lot of times you'd want to get in a lot closer. But in this one, you sort of just get to feel what everyone's going through there, you know, but he creates the perfect balance of that where it's not like, you know, he's he's being a little too remote and sort of just allowing the audience to, to sort of look or um, he's more than a fly on the wall. Uh, observe. Yeah, exactly. Fly on the wall, like observe wherever they want. But he would pick these moments to emphasize those things, and 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 both of those scenes kind of had that as a way out of the scenes, uh, which are you know just like brilliant um, moves. Um, you know, this movie is probably like you said the most memorable. Um, you know, like we said, the bamboo lounge sequence, um, the the bamboo lounge when they're when they when they blow the place up. So basically, you you see. Um, how gangsters <laughs> will take control of a restaurant. Like, Paul, I don't know what the hell to do with a restaurant. Right, I don't know the right, restaurant right. business. So what do they do? They just sell things out the back door until the place goes under, and then they burn it down for the insurance money. Right, um, exactly. Pretty classic way to, to run a restaurant. Um, but then there's the sweet lounge where uh, Billy is killed by by Pesci. Um, and the one thing that he says after he, he he's so remorseless um, that he just says, "I didn't want to get blood on your floor. I'm sorry about that." Right, it was right, man. Right. You really get, get get to know who who Those Tommy chills. is at that point. Um, and then we get into Spider, um, the Spider scene. You know when he's making the Oklahoma Kid dance. Uh, yeah, yeah. That that part bothered me. Always bothered me. Um, but man, there's there's just a lot of a lot of great stuff. Well, the, that's on purpose. It's like you know. Oh yeah. Okay. You you don't feel too bad for Billy Bats. Uh, you know he's a piece of shit. He's an asshole. 
Uh, but, uh, you know, Spider didn't deserve to get uh, four slugs in the chest uh, for that. And because like, in a way, he was Henry, uh, younger Henry, right? Henry was in that same position, and you had already right, seen right. Henry in that, you know, kind of gopher, um, you know, mm-hmm. role as a kid. You know, you're going to run and do this, run and do this, run and do that. And he was doing that same thing. And he actually did what he was supposed to do, right? Like, he stood up to what, you know, someone talking shit to him, he stood up to him. But Tommy wasn't having that, you know? And he's like... Wait, I thought you guys were all busting my balls. We're like, we're all we're all joking. He goes, Well, I don't know. You seem serious. Just kill somebody, you know? He's like, You're gonna you gotta right. dig the hole now. He goes, Oh, is this the first du- hole I've dug? I'll yeah, dig yeah. another hole. Well, and, and just the way that uh you know the Jake LaMotta character was really, really fragile, uh the, the, the Tommy character was also very fragile. And, and yeah. they, you know, because of that, you know, had to like make up for it by you know, murdering people or whatever and you know, fucking them up. Yeah. Um yes, speaking of the Billy Bat scene real quick though, like Yeah. There's that shot that I always sort of remember of like you know the camera looking up at De Niro while he's Stepping like stomping on his face. down and it, it really staccato. That uh, was in foot Mean stomping, Streets, which is also in Mean Streets, and also in Raging Bull when he's uh, you know beating up his brother on Pesci, right? Yeah, yeah, and like it's that same shot and De Niro has that same expression on his face of like yeah. you know, sort of concentration, yeah, <laughs> just looking right down on him, yeah. like obviously just slamming his foot on their face. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like you know, he's like uh he's got that like uh you know uh you know putter on the green uh concentration face on but to, like, stomp someone's face. <laughs> um but yeah, like and also like the uh, the bamboo lounge or whatever it was called, that scene was like a, a perfect um explanation of like, you know, sort of how this gangster thing works of like okay, Polly comes on board to be a partner in this business venture which means that this guy can like go to Polly if he has any trouble or whatever and uh you know Polly will will step in and be his godfather and and sort everything out but the price of that is that everything that uh <laughs> like comes in the door it, he goes he right takes out a percentage the... off the top and then everything <laughs> <laughs> like all, all the supplies that come in one door go out the other door and get sold <laughs> It's so good how they side. describe it in the movie too. In the front door and out the back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like a, it's like perfect illustration. Yeah, but that also like is like a a perfect way to sort of understand this legalized form of what was being expressed in this movie, which is called like a leveraged buyout, right? It's the the type of things that like Bain Capital does. It's like it's what happened to Toys R Us. Like the reason we, there's no two more to- Toys R Us is because you know that they, they got in with these hedge funds that like then would take a percentage off the top, you know, like sell out all this like crap in the uh, the business that like sort of made it functional. They hollowed it out and then like it collapsed like, boop, see you later. You yep. know, it's like it is um, the sort of like legalized gangster shit that, uh, you know, it's like easy to condemn in Goodfellas, but somehow is like, you know, totally Legal. acceptable <laughs> outside <laughs> of Goodfellas. It's like, it's great. Maybe when we remake this movie, we'll do it for yeah. uh, from Toys R Us. <laughs> yeah. The Bamboo Lounge will be yeah. replaced with Toys R Us. That's the only yeah. change. I like that. Um, I, I wanted to bring up Maury um, yeah. from Maury's Wigs. Uh, today! Today! And again we, again, we had, you know, that kind of change of format with video when we see his commercial, his, his right. old school commercial of him jumping in the, in the pool, you know, with the <laughs> hairnet falling off. Um, I, I, I wanted to bring that scene up specifically because right after that scene, he's getting <laughs> strangled by De Niro and his hair his comes right, right off. Right. And you see, we hear... It'll withstand wind and swimming pools, but not uh, getting choked with a phone cord. But the way Leota laughs, 
And like, he's just, he, you can clearly see that that was like a real laugh. Like that was like a real right. moment where he was right. just thought that was hilarious. De Niro had that, again, that putter's face. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It's concentration. You, you know what's funny? It's like, um, I saw this movie second. I, I saw Casino first and I saw Goodfellas second. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Which is, is wild because like, you know, uh, De Niro is the um, focal point of, of uh, Casino. But in this one, um, you know, it's obviously the Ray Liotta character. And, and De Niro is like, I, I'd say almost like a tertiary character or, or maybe even further down the line. It's like it's like Ray Liotta, Lorraine Bracco. Yeah, yeah, right. Joe Pesci, then maybe De Niro. Yeah. Uh, and it's funny because like in this, there's um, the, the, the Jimmy Conway, Jimmy the Gent character certainly has a big impact and is, is around all the time. But he's, again, not the focal point. But even given that, he has like such an amazing performance uh, throughout it. E- even though he's not like the you know basically the star of the movie, and like that the scene in particular where it's like you know uh, the cream or like the sunshine of your love, like when right after the Lufthansa heist, uh, it sort of like does this like slow pushing on him. That's when and, the paranoia you know, like, sets in. Yeah, like he, he's, he's had enough with these these guys. Around everybody like, you know gets taken out. <laughs> Why don't we just kill everybody and then I'll get to keep all the money and, you know, but but you, you see that, <laughs> you see that like, that really almost gleeful expression in his face uh, when he like makes the decision to sort of kill everybody else in the Lufthansa heist. And, you know, it's... um. It, it's such like it's just a tiny little moment but it's like one of those things where it's like you know you needed a an actor of the caliber of de niro to be able to pull it off but what's great about that is that that tragic and very horrific scene set mm-hmm. to that music comes right after a really funny scene where everyone made all these big purchases with the Lufthansa right. money, like the new Cadillac and the and the new mink coat and everything. Right, he keeps right. just everybody that would walk in, he would just take their coats off and like send them back. He's like, get the fuck out of here. You know, you're gonna bring this back. Bring the back. He's like, Are you listening? Um, what was the guy's name with the the crazy like little fro uh yeah. carbone or whatever his name was? He's the one that wanted to take the coffee to go before they killed or right after they killed Stax. He's like, You want the coffee to go? He's like, No, leave the coffee. Yeah. He goes, Oh, I was making coffee. Um, when when Maury gets ice picked, uh, Carbone's in the car too. I think he's the driver at the time. And he, he's like, "Oh, you want me to go now?" He's like, "Yeah, go now." He's like, "Oh, well, no." <laughs> oh, yeah, no, he, he seemed like a. Um, he he was he, in uh, the wedding singer. Like a, oh, he's really? Like a, yeah. He's in the wedding singer. He's he's like his brother-in-law in the wedding singer. He almost seems like a Harry Shearer character, where it's like you know, it's like. Harry Shearer would play the parody version of him. Or it's like, you know, is that handsome Dan? You know, it's like, he, he's like, hi, hi. <laughs> he almost has that like Harry Shearer, like voice a little bit. And like the comic relief. What are you waiting for? Oh, and the car's cold. The, the Get the, the fuck, fuck out of here. What fucking warming up? Get out of here. Uh, but you could also see maybe Harry Shearer like playing that role, like very straight like that. But again, it was like, he's, he's a funny character in Goodfellas as well. Um, and like you said, he is kind of the comic relief. But then you see him dead. Um, I think he's the one that's hung in the meat locker. Yeah. And he's yeah. got like icicles hanging from his <laughs> nose. nose. <laughs> Horrific <laughs> kind of stuff. I think the effects were KNB, which, you know, became really? a huge. Oh, wow. I'm pretty sure, yeah. Um, but the, the, the effects and blood uh, shed in this movie were not just, you know, 
over the top. They weren't over the top at all. I thought they were very stylized. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to bring up Stax is killing um, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, who makes mm-hmm. an appearance, who ended up falling asleep um, at, at his girlfriend's house with the with the truck, uh, and the, the cops had taken the truck while he was sleeping, and no one under. Um, and that's kind of how the they wanted to cut off the connection to the to the heist here, so they took out right. Stax and. Man, when he gets his head blown off and, like, the entire bed and bedroom are just (laughs) splattered with blood. Like, where the hell did that hose come? You know what I mean? Like, he's... Where the hell do they have that thing set up? I don't know know if you noticed, but, like, that's a a little... A miniature one-er for that, where it's like, you you see him get out of bed, follow him to the door, follow him back to put his shoes on, and then his head gets blown off. Awesome. Awesome. And it's also one of those things where it's like, the violence in this movie, and I guess in Raging Bull as well were such that unlike maybe, you know, uh, Evil Dead or, you know, uh, other K&B uh, films, uh, you know, From Dust Till Dawn or something where it's like you're you're sort of enjoying or the, the sort of cartooniness of the violence or uh, whatever. This one, it's not like that. You you, you uh, have to take the violence seriously. You know, it's, yeah. it's extreme and it's like disgusting, but it's also very grounded and, and real and not cartoonish. And very, no, not at all. And very like camera magical. Um, I want to bring up the uh, guy Bruce, the dickhead that lives across the street from Karen. Yeah, the guy. yeah. So also when a little and that's too. that's yeah. right after the Maury shot. Exactly, that's another Warner. But that's right after he leaves Maury's place. Right, he's like, I got to get out of here. It's Karen. Right. He goes over there, and when he starts pistol whipping this guy, at one point he touches his face to to release the blood packet. But it's so well done and in camera. That right. once he touches his face, the blood's already there, and it just kind of worked really well. Oh, First time that, seeing that, you're that like, "Holy that noise shit!" He... Too of like that <laughs> like metal on bone. Just... <laughs> oh man! And then the way that Leota walks back, and he's got yeah. that fucking look on his face, man. Oh my god! He's like, "Hide this!" Right? He just looks like a hyena. It's just like, yeah. <laughs> but I got to admit, it kind of turned me on. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I mean, it and it's it's just it's so intense, and because. It's being held in that one, and it's kind of like um, sort of a wide shot. It's like, you know, uh, it has that punctuation feeling of like, you know, really feeling uh, the, uh, how do you say it? It's like the, the sort of reality of that situation uh, is, you know, hammered home for you. I mean, it's like there's, there's nowhere to hide. There's nowhere to cut away. It's like, it's just, it's like, it's almost that feeling you got in, um, Long Good Friday, when he's like at the very end, that guy in the neck, and like, oh god, and you just sit there and look at it, and you, you see like the life kind of drain out of his eyes in Long Good Friday, and it's like, you know, uh, you could see a version of that where you're like cheering for him because he finally got the like son of a bitch who you know created this whole problem, but the way it's done, it's like horrifying in a way that it's uh it. it it's like so shocking and like so unrelenting. There's like no glory in it. There's no glory. It's like it's so painful and so disgusting. And you know that's the way it felt watching Ray Liotta like you know beat that guy's ass, even though that guy's a piece of shit. And that guy <laughs> you, sucked, you felt like man. you wanted to, like to have that coming, but like, but 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 having it covered it a different way, maybe it would you know feel more heroic or something. But like that way was like so naked and ugly and raw you're like oh i don't like this feeling it's not good you know yeah but you wanted to see his ass get get beat down the second you they met him on vacation or whatever the hell they were at the hamptons or whatever they were for sure for sure i mean (laughs) again sort of just like in in long good friday where you yeah the guy is a scumbag and and you you don't like that character 
and and you want to see something terrible befall them, and then when it happens, you're like, I don't like this. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe I made the wrong choice. You know, it's like as the audience, like your emotions of like of um, of reveling in that violence, um, your expectations gets get, the, the tables get turned on you, mm-hmm. where you know you're. You're now a party to this, and it and it doesn't feel so good. Uh, right. You know, it's like it, it's not the righteous revenge of maybe uh, you know uh, killing Billy Bats and the, the like, get your shine box and all this, right? Like, you know, you you didn't feel too bad for that guy uh, going down, uh, and especially like the way it was cut with the music and you know the, the different coverage and uh, and and like De Niro's putter's face and uh, all these <laughs> things, but like, but in that sort of really raw unblinking look that uh henry smashing that gun in that guy's nose i mean you you just it felt you know gross inside you you, you couldn't um revel in the violence the way you you can in, in certain other moments well said yeah <laughs> long, that was great. long said okay no, that's great um i just want to say a couple other things i, I just like um I'm, I'm excited to maybe we'll get into a little more of the through line throughout his career uh in in the the second half of this um but there is like a a great dividing point here and i think not only are these three movies like in in that sort of like gritty feel uh you know climbing up the rung slowly of you know both scorsese's career but also in the you know sort of uh hierarchy of these gangsters um but you know there is this very gritty style that it's not just okay that's what you know film and everything looked like at that time you know contrast raging bull or goodfellas with new york new york and like new york new york is really polished and looks like a movie from the 50s like a a, if you took a technicolor movie from the 50s and it kind of has that really kind of glossy old hollywood style to it and it's not like he wasn't capable of doing those things but all these things were choices that the grittiness of taxi driver and serve the narrative yeah yeah exactly and like and goodfellas is that way but what we'll see next time is how Casino becomes very, very polished. It doesn't have the same grit anymore. You know, it has this sort of fantasy, uh, you know, photography like the Robbie Richardson, who, you know, shot a lot of Oliver Stone stuff, including JFK. With those that bright, uh, like, one exactly. light that's in there that just kind of... Yeah, the, the, the light that's sort of like, you know, blown out, out two stops on someone's shoulder. Right. And then it has that that filter on it to like, you know, uh, make it bloom. Bloom, yeah. And, you know, it has this fantasy sort of uh, unearthly quality to it. And um, Joe Bob Briggs is in it. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of like uh, interesting like comedian uh, cameos, like playing like these like straight roles, like Don Rickles. Don Rickles is awesome in this. Uh, yeah. uh, what's his name? Um, Alan King mm-hmm. uh, is in it too. Uh, and isn't uh, is, don't don't we also get the usual suspect, uh, Kevin Pollock? Isn't he also? Yeah, Kevin uh, Pollock. Yeah, Kevin right. Pollock is in up, it. Uh, yeah. and and he's really good at it too. Yeah, that's a good call. Yeah, but uh, I think there was that sort of gritty period that he was uh, Scorsese was in, and I, I think he basically leaves that after Goodfellas, right? I mean, it's like uh, you know, Cape Fear is very glossy. The very next one he did, The Departed felt a little on the dirtier side. Did it? Uh, it probably was much more polished than than these, but right. I mean, you know, there's just something so um, ugly, but in a beautiful way. Uh, you know, kind of grittiness to a lot of the stuff that um, I think his movies after that just become a lot more polished. And I, you know, I, I don't, I'm not saying that as a bad thing. 
Yeah. But it's just, you know, th- this different stylistic choice that he's making. And and uh, anyway, it, it, it'll be a, a fun uh, contrast to these. As, you know, his sort of like movies uh, get sort of more expensive and, and bigger and more polished, uh, we are also getting higher and higher into the heights of the, uh, the, the, the like levels of gangster that he gets into. Very and, interesting. And, and, and maybe to just quickly justify Raging Bull here, it's like, you know, obviously there are gangsters in it that they're not quite the focus, although the whole reason he can't get a shot at the title is because he won't play ball with the gangsters. And in doing all that stuff, like the, the gangsters like figure into his life the same way that they do in sort of mean streets, even though like, you know, Charlie's not exactly in the gangster world. He's not exactly out of it. You know, De Niro and you know, the Jake LaMotta and Joey LaMotta characters are not exactly in it, but they, they can't exactly, you know, operate without them. Right. Uh, You know, and that's illustrated by how the sort of like, uh, you you know, what's funny, like the Frank Vincent character in Raging Bull, uh, his name is Salvi. But you know what his last name is? Tori? <laughs> no, Bats. Oh, Just there like you Billy go. Bats. Billy Bats, <laughs> Salvi Bats. It's crazy. It's like Vin- Vincent Vincent Vega and Vic Vega. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I did want to bring up, and it's something we didn't bring up, uh, the gangster that they uh, deal with mostly is played by Nicholas Colasanto, who was coach on uh, Cheers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he yeah, was great. He, he's really, really good, and you know, yeah, his, he's his man was was uh, Scorsese's dad, and like, <laughs> but like, but you know, he he was the guy. What was his name uh, in the movie? Tommy. Tommy. Yep. Tommy yeah. Como. And um, just like all of the other uh, sort of like local bosses that we end up meeting in in the the rest of these uh, movies of this block, uh, they they all have this like sort of magnetism to them and like everyone around them has to charismatic like, uh, yeah. yeah they're really charismatic and it's i mean i and i guess if you're at the top of that heap it's really easy to sort of uh be magnanimous and everything else because <laughs> everyone has to kiss your ass but uh but you know the guy pulls it off really well but um anyway it, it's like this is all sort of retroactive but you picture scorsese and like his gangster world and and you just think it's like oh it's it's this natural thing yeah of course he does gangster shit right but like that thought kind of came into people's minds because of Goodfellas. I mean, sure. it's like, you know, even Mean Streets isn't quite, you know, fully immersed in that world the way that Goodfellas is. No, and and certainly not Raging Bull. But like, you also can't escape it in in those two movies. And also, Mean Streets is his project, his written project, his mm-hmm. his story. Goodfellas is not. Neither is Raging Bull, right? So, you know, like that yeah. look at things. We we got to see his perspective of what the limits of what he knew and what he was part of in mean streets. Right. And then right. he was like able to really dive deep. Well, th- that's a good point too. Cause it's like all the rest of the, these movies. So we're watching these five movies for this, these two blocks and four out of the five of them were sort of, you know, based on true stories and like, mm-hmm. you know, depicting the real life of Jake LaMotta and Henry Hill. And uh, I can't remember the real person's name in casino. Uh, but then, you know, uh, Frank, the Irishman Sheeran and the, the last one, but in, in mean streets, those aren't real characters per se, but they're sort of, you know, based on, you know, people he knew or, or, or things that he, he was aware of uh, growing up there. And then what's also interesting is like all these movies, all five of them have this voiceover except Raging Bull. But Raging Bull was sort of supposed to have it. You know, the initial cut and sort of how it was scripted was that we would be cutting back to or hearing from the older LaMotta in the dressing room the movie. or green room. 
and like they screened that version and everyone was like uh the movie's not working holy shit i don't think we we did it and then they went back in and just trimmed the fat lamada to just be bookends and have the skinny lamada be the sort of bulk of the movie uninterrupted and all of a sudden it worked and it is the movie we we know and love today there you go yeah all right so next week um part two of scorsese's gangsters this was part one uh we'll be watching and talking about casino and the irishman casino i have seen a ton of times the irishman i have not yet seen so again again a block of a movie that i haven't seen yet but i'm very excited to see it because this is one that I don't know why I haven't, to be totally honest. I'm, I'm surprised I didn't jump on this right away, but it's just kind of came and I never saw it. And so now I'm really excited to watch it and talk about it. Yeah, it, it's exciting. I, you know, I uh, had the good fortune of being able to see it in the theater uh, twice, nice. actually, uh, which is also kind of rare because, like, you know, not everyone even got the movie uh, in the theater, you know, because it was kind of a straight to Netflix type of thing. Mm-hmm. And it was wild to see it in the theater. I'll, I'll talk about a little more about that next time. But, like, um, yeah, I, I'm excited about it. You know, uh, Casino for me was my introduction to Scorsese, and you know, it was it was uh, this wild uh, ride. And The Irishman, I'm I'm excited about watching again. Um, you know, even though I saw it twice in a row, uh, basically <laughs> when it came out. Uh, but it, it's been a little while now, and it'll, it'll be fun to to revisit. Um, and then, you know, in case you just uh, didn't get enough of us uh, gabbing about uh, Scorsese and uh, you know waxing his car about how great of a filmmaker he is, uh, we'll do it all again next week. I mean, there's enough that we can probably do this for like the rest of this pod. <laughs> totally. I mean, he's got so many good ones. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Please make sure to subscribe and follow us on all the podcasts and social platforms at the Grindhouse Institute. And if you really want to give us a boost, check us out on Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. It'll help us to get noticed. Thanks so much, everybody. We'll be back next week. Ciao. I still love the life. And we were treated like movie stars with muscle. We had it all just for the asking. Anything I wanted was a phone call away. Free cars, the keys to a dozen hideout flats all over the city. I'd bet 20, 30 grand over a weekend. And then I'd either blow the winnings in a week or go to the Sharks to pay back the bookies. Didn't matter didn't mean anything. When I was broke, I would go out and rob some more. We ran everything. We paid off cops, we paid off lawyers, we paid off judges. Everybody had their hands out. Everything was for the taking. And now it's all over. <laughs>